Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Smashpot. One day, a professional killer went home to visit his family and found his brother murdered. Now, who killed him? I don't know nothing. Listen, the only reason I came back to this crap house was to find out who did it. And I'm not leaving till I do. Michael Caine is Carter, a man with unbridled hate. Do you want to be dead, Albert? For Christ's sake! You knew what I'd do, didn't you, Elvis? Christ, I didn't kill him! I know you didn't! When a professional killer hates, he turns animal. And there becomes but one law in the underworld jungle. Get Carter. Get Carter. Before Carter gets you. Don't let us interrupt you. Now, don't you think you ought to get dressed first? Come on, Jack, put it away. You know you won't use it. <laughs> the gun he means. <laughs> Out. Carter, the heated killer, the cool lover. Carter was a killer by profession. Now he is a killer by instinct. <laughs> Michael Kane is Carter. Get Carter before Carter gets you. Hello and welcome to Smirsh Pod 2, The Kane Scrutiny, a podcast celebrating the vast oeuvre of Michael Kane, the highs, the lows, and everything in the middle. This truly is the podcast where you're only supposed to have a good time. This week we'll be welcoming Jack on his return home. He has revenge on his mind and a re dirty movie in an envelope. Yes, it's Get Carter. And joining me to get in good shape as podcasting is a full-time job, a Guardian journalist, Ali Catrell. My name is Ali Catrell. And comedy actor, stroke legend, Paul Putner. And I am Paul Putner. <laughs> Who can be found on Twitter as Ali Catrell and real Paul Putner, respectively. Do, you've been doing a lot more Twitter recently, haven't you? I know, I, I do one, one a week now. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> good it keeps the brand going yeah yeah you've stopped numbering them i've noticed as well oh yeah well i might do a few more of those yeah numerical gags but we're here to talk about get carter yeah yeah it's a good film isn't it brilliant 
It's fucking incredible. Yeah. Let's let's put this film into perspective first of all, shall we? Please. So, <clears throat> let's talk about UK cinema, crime cinema, uh, between about sort of like late, late 1930s to late 1960s, um, and how criminals were uh, uh, depicted in these films. Uh, now, to put it into context, a real-life context, only four armed robberies were reported in 1954. How amazing is that? That is amazing. That's incredible. So, and that reflected in that reflected in UK cinema as well. So, during that time, the most kind of common crimes were things like sort of dual theft and smuggling and counterfeiting, um, and the kind of criminals we'd see in British films are things like you know sort of raffish Robin Hood kind of characters or sort of bumbling Ealing comedy wide boys. And criminals were generally sort of very funny sort of characters. You know, they were comic foils. Um, and this sort of lasted into the 60s as well. You had, obviously, with the Italian job and things like that. Wrong arm the, of the law. Mm, yeah, and even the great train robbery, you know, re- reflected in Peter Yates' robbery. It was a very colourful, kind of near-psychedelic film. Um, and it wasn't until the sort of Craig trials of the late 60s that the reality of this kind of gritty gangland uh, sort of violence and corrupt policing finally emerged. And obviously, you know, taken in tandem with the kind of news footage that was coming out from sort of Vietnam and, and, and this sort of stuff, people were becoming much more familiar with the real face of violence, actual violence. And this was the kind of, this was the, uh, the, the, the landscape that Carter dropped into like a fucking bomb in 1971. Um, and although it's, you know, it's not especially violent by today's standards, Carter is very, very disturbing because it's genuine violence. It, it, it's, it's violence realistically depicted for once. And the violence in it, it it's, it's very brutal, but not explicit, is it? It's, no. it's this, this sort of film that shows you that you can be stabbed to death with one with one knife punch hmm. or, or struck in the head with one wooden blow. You don't need to obsessively bludgeon someone over the head, you know, for, for, for hmm. kicks. This is a film that shows that violence, that real violence, is very quick, it's very nasty, and as far as this conf- film is concerned, it's very disturbing. You've also got Vice as well, which is something hadn't been really shown a lot. Yeah, correct. I mean, this is, again, the sort of thing that came up from the 60s, you know, in the sort of Cray Richardson trials, uh, and the reality of just how seedy Soho was, you know. And we met, yeah, go on. No, sorry. go on, sorry, go on. I'll say uh, a bit like, I think we mentioned it on the Smirsh pod with Long Good Friday, you had uh, Villain, the Richard Burton mm. film, which yeah. was around the same time exactly. as well, Get re- released just yeah. a few months after Get Carter, yeah. This yeah. is uh, Clement and Lefrenet's uh, Villain, starring Richard Burton, as a very, very transparently sort of um, Ronnie Cray kind of character. Yeah. And then in the seventies, you had the whole um, Soho being corrupt policemen, the Vice Squad, absolutely, and all that yeah, sort of thing. And, and this is the backdrop of, you know, <laughs> that, that Mike Hodges was, you know, wished to kind of drag to the forefront with this film, and it kind of crosses a Rubicon. You know, Get Carter, as I said, when it exploded like sort of dirty bomb in cinemas at that time, would have been something very unusual. Would have been something very different. And you got John Binden in it. Of course, you got John Binden, an actual proper from- gangster. Exactly. You know, as, as we discussed in previous in, 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 in you know previous podcasts, he was on Long Good Friday. He's friend of Hoskins. Friend of Hoskins. Friend of friend of Kate, no doubt. Who knew a lot of gangsters. In fact, he modelled Carter on gangsters he knew, even oh, the really? walk and the talk and all that. There's an in, uh, funny bit when they're watching the the, the blue the blue. Well, it's not a movie. Blue slides, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> Gerald Fletcher, the character, he says, uh, "It's Python." And it cuts to Johnny Binden doing this knowing. 
One of, uh, well, <laughs> MGM, well, the producer, Michael Klinger, uh, dra- well, after the film was shot, he dragged it to the States. We're, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves here. But he uh-huh. dragged it to the States to, to sell. Don Siegel was a very big, big cut, get Carter fan. He did um, Dirty Harry, didn't he? Dirty Harry, Don yeah. Siegel, yeah. And um, <clears throat> he dragged it to, to MGM, who uh, did this, and I'll play you this. Yep. This is this is the beginning of the film. So we start at the beginning. We're in we're in the Fletcher brothers, the, the Fletchers, kind of like sort of Cray twins, kind of Ozatz Cray twins. Mm. One of which is John Binden. Mm. Uh, we're in a penthouse apartment in London, where Jack Carter, who's originally from Newcastle, yep. uh, although he's been here for so long, appears to have adopted a kind of elephant and castle accent. It's almost mm. like to the yeah. manor born. It's quite uncanny. <laughs> um, where Carter ignores warnings to go back to Newcastle, to his hometown, to basically divine the reason behind his brother Frank's suspicious death. Frank's very clean living brother. So why he's, uh, you know, drunk and in charge of a motor vehicle is, is very suspicious. So <clears throat> before that, the, the two brothers and Kit Carter are watching the blue movies supplied by their uh, uh, major porn supplier called uh, Cyril Kinnear, who we'll get to later. Mm. So this is what MGM did. This is, the, this is the original. I'll play you this. This is the original opening of the film while they're watching a porn movie. And I have to say, by the way, this is... Um, Carter crosses a Rubicon in various respects... One of the ways it does is within the first minute, in fact, I time this, within 59 seconds, we have a full-on crotch shot. Um, and watching this on my home cinema, you know, which, which is quite large in the first place, what it must have been like an actual 70 mil must have been extraordinary mm. to see, essentially, a beaver shot that large. So here we are, they're, they're, watching, this, um, they're watching this homemade porn film. All right, Maggie, with his socks still on? Yeah, they do it like that, up north. What for? Protective purposes? And here's the redub. Bare ass naked with his socks still on. Yeah, they do it like that. I don't know. Yeah, pretty horrific. Isn't yeah, it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Those images are, are, are really quite hardcore. That it surprised me what they were watching. Well, when you think about it, in the seventies as well, um, pornography became accepted, didn't it? All the cinemas started showing porn. Well, they sort of did, but even Mary Millington wasn't going to wasn't going to put up with full on crotch shots like that, you know. I mean, okay, you had sort of sex comedies and and, and you know, sort of um, <clears throat> and Timmy P and all that sort of thing. What, what, Timmy Lee. But you had like legitimate comedy actors ap- appearing in softcore pornography. What, Eskimo Nell and yeah, well, Alfie Bass is in. Um, Come play with me. Yeah, mm. Bob Todd wasn't it? All these figures. Yeah. Yeah. People who did good facial expressions. <laughs> I think there was definitely a sort of relaxing of a kind of moral code around this period. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Bedlam, I call it. Mm. <laughs> Bedlam. Um, but then we cut to um, Jack Carter, Michael Caine. He's, he's on a train to Newcastle. He's on a train to Newcastle. This, this takes about three hours from London's King's Cross to Newcastle. He's reading um, Farewell, My Lovely. He's wearing Charlotte's Farewell, which was an absolute kind of reference to the original novel, to Ted Lewis. Um... Uh, Carter's return, Jack Carter's return. Now, Ted Lewis, to call him simply a pulp writer would be, frankly, damning him. He's one of the most extraordinary writers of kind of um, psychological, almost existential crime novels going. He died very young, unfortunately, at 42. But before that, he'd he'd had an extraordinary life. He'd animated parts of Yellow Submarine, for instance. Um, and his some of his books have become, I mean, like Plender, for instance, which is one of the most extraordinarily grim examinations of guilt. Um, was made into that French film The Serpent. Remember that a few years ago, The Serpent. Yeah. Um, and he's and, and he's written various other things, but his but yeah, this this novel is very very closely uh, cleaved to um, you know the kind of film noir American, not you know Charlotte and what have you. Mm. So in reading Farewell, My Lovely, that's definitely a kind of in joke in a way. Um, having said that, as I said, three hour journey from King's Cross to Newcastle, and yet by the end of it, he only appears to have read about ten pages. I've noticed. 
Well, he so he's, he's, he's obviously a bit of a lip reader. He likes to soak it in. Yeah. He's in first class as well, I noticed. He's in first class, as is his assassin, his ultimate assassin. Yeah. This is a bit of a spoiler dirty bomb, but I'll explode it anyway. Um, his assassin is sitting opposite him, reading a copy of The Sun. Um, Jay. Jay, exactly, yeah. Reading a copy of The Sun, which contains a headline about essentially Vincent Lander, a real-life kind of fruit machine impresario with extraordinary parallels to the part of the film, who, during the 60s, um, or during the 50s, kind of worked his way out in classic sort of rags-to-riches style. Um, and during the 60s became involved in kind of like Cray-like sort of underworld crime, especially his brother um, and his accomplices who were charged with murdering fellow one-armed bandit impresarios. And he holed up in Europe and went missing. So that's what that newspaper headline refers to. Wow. Um, but he arrives in Newcastle and he goes to the pub... With the six-fingered man. He does. Um, I, th- I think it's the show that, you know, there's, there's this place he's come from is, is, is still kind of like the other. You know, it, it's still mm. the hinterlands of, mm. you know, it's not sophisticated in any way. And, and, and when he asks for a thin glass, it makes me laugh because yeah. in the original book, it's, it's you know, a thin glass, please. But obviously in the field, thin glass, you know, no, no please involved. Yeah. Um, but also, why a thin glass? You know, and you think because he's, and I didn't think about this, because he's basically a mod. And he likes kind of sharp, thin things. He isn't like these, your doughty pints, yeah. sh- shaped like the locals. You know, he wants thin thin pints, so he get on with, with his killing. He's certainly not a rocker. No. No. Um, but in the pub, he's meant to meet um, Frank's girlfriend. Mm. But she stands him up. Margaret. Yeah. Yeah, his he mistress. Says, Why aren't yeah. you here? And uh, so he goes back to Frank's house. And it's the sort of thing you'd like to find when you go to your brother's house. There's some pants on the floor. There's a shotgun. And his dead body in a coffin. Yeah, and I like his the the, the security of a key on a piece of string mm. <laughs> hanging off the, the 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 where you post your letters. It's a different world. Your letter days, box. I wonder how many people sort of did that in retrospect. You could leave your film. key on a string in those mm. days. Mm. People wouldn't break in and murder you because you're already dead. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he has a look round his brother's house, and then he checks into his lodgings with his randy landlady. Yeah. Edna Garford, yeah. fantastic name. Again, yeah. another, like another early seventies film, it's got a real whiff of Rillington Place, mm. isn't it? That kind of what is it? Those horrible light switches and cracked peeling wallpaper and, and the kitchen units looking yeah, like it's that, you, relentless you, you, brown. You can yeah. kind of smell the sex on the crinoline, can't you? You, you know that yeah. kind of sweaty perspiration. Because you wear purple underwear. <laughs> um, so he tells his landlady he's not staying tonight. Are you a traveller? No, he's yeah. not a traveller. I, like, yeah. I like the use of that term as well, which obviously yeah. has different connotations these days. But you know, In those days? Well, did she mean like a kind of salesman? I guess. Yeah. I guess, but I suppose in these days... Isn't it? Well, he's a travelling knife sharpener. Mm. Yeah. Um, but he goes back and, he, and they have the funeral for his brother Frank. And um, then... His, do- house, his house, by the way, is in Frank Street. I'll just point that out. Is it? Yeah. That's interesting. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like they planned it. Yeah. We or just a street where everybody's quite frank with one another. <laughs> we haven't mentioned the... Can I be frank with you, Paul? Can I be frank with you? <laughs> we haven't mentioned the rather unusual, um, and, and it's throughout the whole film, is the use of sound. There's a lot of ambience. A lot of ambience. Mm. Uh, like the, the wind, this ominous... You only actually hear Roy Budd's music at the beginning and towards the end when he's yeah, yeah. Eric. That's it. Everything else is just ambience. I like the fact there's some sort of tabla influence stuff in Roy Budd's music as well. Yeah. Particularly towards the end. Tail end of the 60s, a lot of Indian influences mm. and everything. It's a bit of very, jazz as well. It's very kind of performance, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I love Roy Budd. Or well, loved. He's dead now. Well, yeah, he's... 
I mean, we haven't even mentioned the opening theme oh. tune, which is theme tune score. I mean, it's oh, one of the, the greatest like, opening music. Isn't it? Well, it crests far standard, the, isn't the it? The word mm. iconic is overused these days, but mm. fuck me, that mm. score, yeah. Sends shivers up your spine. Mm. Not for it, Roy Budd, though, because he's dead. Here's an interesting thing. Um, I know uh, Martin Green, who's a DJ, used to run Club Smashing, and he also licenses records and stuff, and he loves all of this type of music and, and 60s uh, soundtracks. And he was approached at Club Smashing by uh, someone from Pie Records saying anything of any interest here and he said he was handed a rolodex flipping through oh, get carter that'd be interesting uh, getting nowhere in a hurry love is a four-letter word put out this compilation album he was behind the sound gallery hmm. if you like your easy listening lounge music <clears throat> of the mid 90s retro compilation had a comeback in the mid 90s didn't it that's yeah. right and um and martin uh was part of that scene and, and brought out the sound gallery gallery and the sound spectrum which had the four opening tracks from get carter mm. and it suddenly because it was never available the soundtrack well, it was and it's become it was extremely extremely that particular record you're talking about was only available in japan or something it's yeah. extremely rare yeah. it was going it was going for like sort of thousands <clears throat> of pounds before it had you know before it was widely available sure. i remember there were albums in the mid-90s called like cult fiction and things like that where yeah, they had yeah themes yeah. from tv and i mean they, it, it was very much they very much kind of fed into the kind of gangster chic and lad culture mm. uh, which kind of allied with Britpop and that kind of yeah. mid-90s yeah. late 90s culture and cool britannia chris Correct, evans yeah. wasn't he loved michael kane coming on his show mm. it's, 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 kind of, it's, it's one of the reasons that sort of loaded magazine you know tried to clear the permissions for get carter and ran it as a comic you know ran it as a comics driven back to loaded they did, but when they, they when they, you know when when ted lewis's estate intervened mm. tellingly they replaced it simply with long good friday comic strip you know so, same, same mm. sort of aesthetic yeah but i remember like you know when breakbeat came in in the late 90s i remember there being quite a good get carter breakbeat remix for the big Drum beat over mm. the top of it. And of course, the yeah. Human League had already, you know, covered, of course, it, covered yeah. it in their album, you know. Yeah. Trip and hop. Yeah. All of that. But the, yeah, We're it, all middle aged. We're all middle aged. We're talking about <laughs> drums and trip hop. And yes, and reminiscing about music which, when we were one years old. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. So, yeah, we have the funeral, and Margaret turns up late, looking dishevelled, like she's not interested. And he says to her, Who killed Frank? And she won't say anything. She's guilty no. as hell, isn't she? she I mean, it's written all over her high heels. Yeah. Although I've got issues with Margaret, but I'll bring that up later. Mm. But it's, it's not nice. Um, so then we meet Doreen, who's Frank's daughter. Poor yeah. Doreen. And they go to the pub and she's looking really upset because Frank's basically, oh, sorry, not Frank, Jack, is basically in floating suggestions that Frank was murdered in the pub. There's also floating suggestions, and, I, and again, I'll, I'll drop a huge dirty bomb of a spoiler here, <laughs> uh, that Doreen uh, isn't actually Frank's daughter. Yes, that comes up a lot later, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so that really throws into sharp relief a scene later when he's watching her in a particular film. But we'll get to that. Well, there's a line later where we find out that Jack had an affair with Frank's wife, who's yeah. now deceased, isn't she? Hmm. And that Doreen may well be his daughter. And I think she just ran off. I'm, Did I'm she not, run off? I'd have to watch it again, but I think she just... Yeah. Disappeared. We didn't pay attention. Doreen Dor- works in Woolworths. Um, she does work in Woolworths, and uh, which and is now sadly R.I.P. as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, I blame a, Woolly a, and Worth, the, the lambs that you advertise it. There's a, there's a very moving blood on their hands. There's a very mm. moving bit in this when when Carter says to Doreen, "Be good, don't trust boys." Mm. And I, I think it's extremely poignant, actually. It's a fatherly thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But he knows. Yeah, yeah. That she doesn't. So it's a. Is it a double standard? 
Because he's a shit, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean the, the whole thing is a film noir. Morality, obviously, is very murky in film mm. noirs. You know, mm. the, the, the heroes or anti-heroes can, you know, you can be either moral or... Or uncle heroes. Or yes. Or uncle heroes. Well, there's, there's, there's no... There's, there's, there's basically, I think, Doreen... <laughs> Doreen and Alan Armstrong's character. Baby Alan Armstrong. We have Baby to call Alan him. with his curly hair. Looks tiny. And um, they're kind of the only nice people... In in the whole movie, is this? I was thinking. I I didn't look. I didn't Google. Hmm. Is this Kane's first villain? Well, sort of. I, I, it's it's certainly not his first kind of morally kind of ambiguous kind of character. Obviously, Harry Palmer and Charlie. Uh, right. So yeah. I think I think in a way this kind of film is a kind of logical progression in a way from uh, Croker. Well, well, from, from Alfie and, and and the Ipcris file. You know, you, you've mm. got these Zulu as well, arguably, because he's kind of. Against the hero, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, he's, he's the yeah. authority figure. Yes, exactly. Um, but I would say this is his first black and white, not very nice person. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Who would actually physically harm you, whereas Croker would steal your car and leave you, a, 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 you know, some milk tray. Yeah. Fun, funnily enough, Telly Savalas was mooted for the lead. Forget Carter. Yeah, that would have been fucking shit. Well, it was dreadful, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'd see it at all. Oh, yeah. Plus, how's he from Newcastle? I can take a Cockney, <laughs> but not an American. Yeah. The Unless he came like, in and went, I didn't know I killed Frank. It was, I mean, for, you know, when, when the studio suggested Kane, it was, um, obviously it was quite an unusual proposition for this film, but having got Kane, the studios then tried to, mm. try, you know, try to get Hodges to have all sorts of famous people in it, mm. which he absolutely adamantly refused. You know, the, right. the more to sort of ground the character in reality, um, obviously he had to compromise with Brett Eklund, but we'll come to her. Yeah. Oh, it'd be bizarre if Telly Savart... <laughs> You know, Telly Savalas, just at the beginning of the film, you know, they won't take kindly, Jack, with some bald bloke sucking lollipops from New York, <laughs> poking his bugle in. You could say, who loves your baby to Dory? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Telly Savalas is a good actor. Though. Very he, good. he was very good, but he yeah, wouldn't be right for wouldn't this. Wouldn't be right for this. So, Jack, after the funeral, they're having a drink with Doreen and all the friends, and they start speculating as to what Frank was into. And Doreen gets very upset and throws drinks all over someone. Who was, who was the person? I, I, when I finished the film, mm. it's like this thing. When you watch these movies, like reading novels, yeah, and you're someone who can't remember names, mm -hmm. I have to sit there now with uh, my laptop open on the IMBD page, thinking, right, now who's Eric again? Who's Cyril? Who's mm. Bobby? Who's this guy? Who's Frank? Who's Fred? Yeah. Do I have to keep going back? Mm. And I and I and at the end of watching, I thought, who was the guy in the pub? Was I don't he, think he was. He, he wasn't anyone. Do you mean he got the drink splashed, splashed over? Yeah, him. He's, he's just he one just of Frank's a, friends, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, I'm worried that he he might have had enough, something but, but to do with. He wasn't in it again. A, a lot yeah. of the a lot of these guys are actually kind of Newcastle locals that Hodges just sequestered into the film. All right. Know, with respect, if, if if he's a huge uh, Amdram success in Newcastle, I, I apologise. Um, but he could just be a, a Newcastle local. It's just a question of the film. Because that's the interesting thing throughout the film, is the shots of locals as this kind of benign, silent observers. Well, Mike, I mean, Apted, sorry, not Apted, um, uh, Mike Hodges, who directed mm. this, um, had a background in world and action and sort of documentary making. Mm. And a lot of his kind of setups, a lot of his scenes are very kind of social realist in nature. Particularly the pub when he first comes in there at the beginning. Oh, oh the bloke with the, the old bent nose. Yeah. I should say as well that, that Hodges had a background in the Royal Navy and was, and was, and was on uh, mine sweeping duties in the Arctic. So he was used to digging dead bodies out of the sea. 
Um, yeah, he, he had, he's seen a lot of dead bodies before he made this film. I was going to say, there's a bit where, uh, at the end, where someone gets fished out of a pond. Mm. It's very realistic. As I say, he's, he's, used to, he's very, very used to the kind of um, reality of kind of death and violence and what have mm. you. Um, yeah. He, he also, I should say, also, you know, en route to the Arctic, he would show up in a lot of northern towns, like sort of Hull and Grimsby. And so he had a kind of a sort of keen understanding of, of, of sort of, you know, northern towns and culture and became fascinated with them. And that's one of the reasons why he decided to shoot in Newcastle instead of Scunthorpe, where the original novel is, is, oh, is located. Really? Or Doncaster, actually. Um, because he just said it was visually spectacular. Mm-hmm. And there is an incredible scene in here where you see that sort of terrace street going down yeah. um, to, to the chimneys in the foreground, which are one of the most. Funny enough, one of those perversely one of the most beautiful things I think I've ever seen in the cinema. There's a famous Terry O'Neill picture of Kane standing in that street, isn't mm. there, with the mm. chimneys dwarfing him? Yeah. yeah. There's a great um, little uh, YouTube link by this young chap who's done Get Carter Locations Revisited. I must have a shout out to um, oh. shout out to, uh, to to Chris Riley of the. Um, Get Carter Appreciation Society, who, who may or may not be listening, who in 2000 organised a two-hour-long uh, location tour of, of Jack Carter's Newcastle-based uh, locations, including, uh, obviously, the centrepiece of this film, which is Owen Luder's extraordinary 1960s brutalist multi-storey car park, yeah. um, which has that unused restaurant at the top, um, which became quite a bone of contention and, and controversy am, among the uh, sort of Gatehead's local councillors. Uh, I've got a funny quote here. As Gateshead's counsel, George Gill told local reporters um, during 2008 when they were trying to get Newcastle's European city of culture, Liverpool won, by the way, good old Liverpool. <laughs> but in July 2008, um, uh, Gateshead counsel's George Gill said, um, never mind get Carter, it can get lost. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, we find out, uh, Carter asks questions about a guy called Albert. And they say, how, how do you know Albert? And he says, I went to school with him. What particular school in Newcastle did you go to, Michael? With your accent. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they, uh, he then turns up at the races where we meet Ian Hendry, he of Theatre of Blood. Yes, yeah. and he of extreme alcoholism by that stage. Well, wearing sunglasses, I'm assuming, because he was hungover. Well, those eyes like piss holes aren't like that for, you know, they're not contacts. He, no. um, he, he was generally quite fucked by this stage, I think. I think. Really? In yeah. the early 70s yeah. he was still fucked? Mm. Piss holes in the snow. Mm. I think that's the first time I heard that expression. Mm. It's great, isn't it? It's a good bit. Yeah. In, yeah. In, in, in the book, he's an old arch enemy of Carter's, I, I guess, when they're sort of kids growing up. Um, but in reality, Ian Hendry hated Michael Caine. Really? Yeah, because yeah. I mean, Ian Hendry, who'd once had sort of big successes in the, you know, in the 60s and, and whatever, um, had, had seen his star fallen quite, quite heavily because of his alcoholism. Hmm. And he hated Caine's success. Absolutely hated him. Um, and when they were doing that scene, Caine absolutely exploited that, the fact that, that, that there was such animosity in real mm. life between Hendry and him. And he's and Kane thought, well this will work. This will be great for mm. the picture. Which, hence mm. why that scene is filled with such genuine edge. Mm. Acid, isn't it? I mean and, and it's uh, and I love Ian Hendry's has this kind of lo- loose accent. Slightly Scottish. Scottish yes, like yeah. Oh you've been watching television. Martini adverts. <laughs> Michael Caine also drops a Michael Caineism, doesn't he? He goes, "Do you know? <laughs> yes, your eyes mm. look like Neil Innes. <laughs> he does look a bit like Neil Innes. He does a bit, doesn't Still he? Still got your sense of humour, Jack. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yes. So yeah, piss holes in snow, and then Carter follows him because he's chauffeuring in this giant American. Ah, oh, but you've car. forgotten one very important moment. What's, what's that? The Oliver Hardy oh, <laughs> dropping the hot dog out the mouth. <laughs> 
from Dave from the Winchester. <laughs> You're right. Glyn Edwards. There's yeah, some. There's, Albert, yeah. there's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> as grim as grim as this film undeniably is, there is some. There is some fantastic slapstick in this movie. I'm thinking of Edna Garfoot, his, his landlady's neighbour with the milk bottles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Sorry, Paul's Oliver Hardy gets yeah, me yeah, every time. The Alfie Bass Moonraker moment. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mr. Partridge from Heidi High. Smash Bond. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Smash Bond. Yeah, um, so Carter follows him in his American car and uh, he breaks into John Osborne's house. Now, Why John, is John Osborne in this? John Osborne is in this um, because, first of all, he was an actor. He started as an actor. Right. People forget that. Obviously, he wrote Look Back in Anger yep. and the Charge of Light Brigade, all that sort of thing. But he started as an actor. And he's a bloody good actor, I think. Mm. Is he friends with Mike Hodges? Or was he? I think he was. But he's also in Flash Gordon. Well, yes, he had the cameo as, as, as the arboreal tree uh, priest right, in Flash Gordon. Right. Yeah, yeah. Stick your hand in this in this hole. Um, as he probably says in Get Carter at some point. But um, yeah. funny enough, Dry Day Hall, which is... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Dryden Hall, which is Cyril Kinnear's house, yeah. was actually, um, we talked about Vincent Lander earlier, um, was actually his real life house. No. This is how bizarre this is. Yeah. That was actually Vincent Lander's house. Um, and Hodges says that, that, that while, um, while, while I was sort of exploring the house, um, they found two children's drawing books filled with prayers. And there were two pages in which an adult had written, and he thought this was something to do with, his, with, with, with Lander's brother, Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel, Cain and Abel, throughout this book, written over 20 times in big letters. And Hodges well, thought, well, that must be something to do with his brother. You know, he must have had a breakdown and just well, that's funny because this. Michael Cain, before he was an actor, he used to run a bakery with Ian Abel. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. <clears throat> Funnily enough, when when around the time of uh, when this film was released, Vincent Lander actually took his girlfriend because being still holed up in Europe and yeah. obviously being hounded by the press, he says, "Come back and face the music." Vincent Lander took his girlfriend to a Parisian cinema to watch Get Carter. Wow! So what a fucking shock he must have had Imagine. to sit there and go, "Hang about <laughs> that's that's my fucking house." <laughs> And also, during the end of Get Carter, when um, when when Kinnear is being led away by the police, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But when when you know they're being led away yeah. by the police, a succession of Landers' real life social associates actually fill the screen. Bloody hell! There is actually people who used to go to his parties. Hodges sequestered them and said, "Yeah, come come and join join the film." And I, I always loved that um, when you see things like The Long Firm or Sexy Beast mm. or Villain again is that kind of upper class connections. Mm. To the underworld, exactly. yeah. You know, like Edward Fox and Donald Sinden and John Osborne's brilliantness. It's um, he is amazing. Many many years ago, before the mammoths stalked the earth, I wrote a book called Your Face Here, which at that point uh, was the first book about 
exclusively dedicated to the subject of British cult cinema. Is it still uh, in the shops, though? It's not in the shops, but you can get it on, on Amazon for about 1p or a £1,000. Run, the don't walk. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's one of those kind of things. N- neither of which actually reflect its value, 1p or a £1,000, but, you know, probably somewhere in between. Um, but to this day, I still think it's actually, funny enough, the only book still dedicated... I'm sorry about all this plugging, but th- there, is a, plug. there, is, there is a point to this, by the way. Hmm. Um, funny enough, Get Carter is actually on the cover, um, rendered beautifully by, by my mate Tony Lyons in this, in this beautiful kind of... Um, hmm. Semi, semi sort of animated Gorgeous. job. It's, it's lovely. Um, now, well, obviously, when you write a book, there's uh, sorry, I should say co-authored because uh, Simon Wells wrote it with me. Um, and when you write a book, obviously, there's blue pencil involved by by the editor, whoever's doing it. Hmm. And one of the things I should admit is that um, I wrote the line, and I still stand by it. If cold sperm could talk, it would probably sound much like John Osborne and Get Carter. Um, <laughs> yep. And that was blue penciled immediately by the editor. And uh, I, I, sh- I shall say that um, I unblue penciled it when I had the chance to. That's mm. all I'll admit to. I unblue penciled it um, and thought quite righteous about that. So, of course, when the first reviews came in, one of the first was Sight and Sound, who immediately focused on that and said, uh, Steal yourself for some laddish prose. <laughs> and in brackets, if Cold Sperm could talk, it'd probably sound like you go to. Um, but I, I still stand by that, frankly. I he think does. It, it works. Definitely works. I love this scene because uh, Osborne's obviously very cool, but there's a lovely moment where he's playing cards and Michael Caine's got that lush... Is it Glenda? Glenda. Glenda. Yeah. Brilliant. She's bit. trying to talk yeah. to him while George he's, trying to, he's trying to kind of focus on the what's going on in the card game. Yeah. And we mm. get that distraction as well because we can't quite hear either mm. conversation. She plays a brilliant drunk in this. Yes. Yeah. She's I call so her, good. Not Glenda, Bender. the <laughs> end. Yeah. Because she's pissed all the way through, isn't she? She also yeah. grasses Kinnear up, do you know, as during that card game. She does. She says uh, he knows Sid. Mm. Yeah. She, she basi- she's kind of like the leverage of the plot. She basically sort of... Kane the plays- plot almost pivots on her mm. kind of drunken... Yeah. Dr- drunken Loose yes. yeah, yeah. Sink ships. Uh, but Kane plays this bit really well, because he plays it like you've been accosted at a party by a very drunk person and you're not drunk. Mm. So he's got that, oh, oh, really? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Mm. Gerald- Geraldine Moffat. Geraldine Moffat. Moffat, yeah. Wow. Who played um, Glenda. There's yeah. also an incredible actor in this scene. I, I don't know if you've noticed him, but he's an absolute legend of the craft. It's the man who played Mr Jenkins, the supervisor for Mutiny on the Buses. It's the man who loses <laughs> the card game to John Osborne. All right, yes. I told you you'd lose. Yeah, him. Think mm. A moment of respect for Mr Jenkins. Yes. From Mutiny on the Buses, one of the, one of the On the Buses trilogy. Mm. Um, so yeah he goes to the scrapyard and looks at Frank's car mm. and um, considerably written off it's been written so. off yeah and the, mm. the, 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 the scrapper says to him that the guy driving it was very drunk and, and Carter was like that's not my brother that's at not all. my brother he doesn't no. drink mm. or certainly not a whole bottle of scotch mm. or whiskey or whatever it was um, so then we he, he meets Alan Armstrong baby Alan Armstrong who looks tiny have He's, you seen Happy Valley have you seen Happy Valley um, it's that with um, Sarah Lancashire. Yeah, the first series, yeah. the baddie in that, right. is played by Alan Armstrong's son. All right. And he is the spitting image of him here. It's quite disturbing how... Not disturbing that a son would look like the father, but they look identical. Right. And, and did you notice also that... Um, what's the name of the character Alan Armstrong plays again? What's his name? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Keith? Has been, yeah. Keith? Yeah. Has exactly the same dress style... As Derek 
um, oh god, my brain's gone. Who, who, who's Bob Hoskins? Is oh, Charlie, Charlie from, from Casualties? Yeah. In the Long Good Friday, he does. They have exactly the same corduroy jacket, curly hair, yeah, yeah. leather jacket. All that's missing is a bottle in his neck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and betrayal. Yeah, no, because he gets betrayed, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. Um, so, pre-internet, you had. There's a moment here, and it was woman singing in a pub, going back to his documentary style. But then a fight breaks out because a woman has touched another man. She plays. She she's well, she singing kisses Gershwin's, him on the lips. She's playing Gershwin. She's no, yeah. she's not singing Gershwin. She's singing How About You, isn't she? Yeah, that's right. I like um, New York and June. Yeah. Do you know what other film that stars in? That song. No. The Fisher King. Oh, of course it does. Yeah. Yeah, and they yeah. when they have the, the the when he meets Robin Williams for the first mm. time. Yeah. What's interesting? You you the pub singer, you know, doing these old numbers with a Hammond organ clanging away in the background, and you think, oh, it's a bygone age. It isn't though. No, because sometimes I've been in pubs in Manchester and they still have that. I've been in Tenerife in some of these English Irish pubs and they're still that. I've been in a pub where a man's been sitting in the back clanging away on his organ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it when the fight breaks out and Jack Carter, Jack Carter grins. <laughs> yeah, grins from ear to ear with this kind of you Geordie savages. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I'll leave you to get on with your fighting. Mm. There's some love. There's some lovely found sound in this film. There's a great song. I don't know what it is, but there's a great song playing on the jukebox when he first enters the long bar mm. opposite Newcastle Station. Yeah, it it's um, um, getting nowhere in a hurry. Oh, who is it by? Which um, well, you can get it on this this the Sound Spectrum compilation if you can find it on Amazon. It's either a penny or a thousand. Is it pounds. got a library music or is it a sort of well, designated song? I, it's, it's on. It was just on the Pie record label. On the jukebox, the guy puts it in. Yeah, Penny yeah. Jukebox Getting in. nowhere in a hurry. It's great. Da, 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 I love it. Da, da. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. This is like a fountain of knowledge. So, Michael Caine goes home from the pub to Las Vegas, which sounds very exciting, but it's actually mm. a shitty little B&B he's staying in, or yeah. lodgings or whatever. And he gets his randy landlady again. Edna Garfield. That's right. Love her. And he says, can I ring London? She says, all right. And she sits in a rocking chair. Yeah. And he rings Britt Eklund. And he starts talking dirty to her. Now, if you rang, if you were a lady and you thought, I'd like to hear Michael Caine talking dirty, right? mm. so you ring, you know, in the mid late 90s, they had phone premium phone lines. Mm. They put them in phone boxes, you know. Speak to Michael Caine, and he says, <laughs> I fancy you. Take your bra off. Hold them. <laughs> I mean, is that sexy? <laughs> Hold your cherries. Hold them. <laughs> what, what, what are you wearing? black ones and uh, it, it, Brett Eklund starts you know going for it a little bit Cl- clutching her stomach like she's in pain as, yeah as she, as she pretends to be. and then Terence Rigby walks in mm. says hey what are you doing and she says she was just doing some exercises which I must remember next time I get caught masturbating yeah <laughs> well, but then you've got the landlady bobbing backwards and forwards yeah. in this kind of sexual motion mm. <laughs> of course the name Brett Eklund is Swedish for Br- British Leyland Really? <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible joke that I wrote down, and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> yes. Um, so but she's not in it. No. She's the leading lady. Literally, but, literally but she she's not in it. Well, literally, she, that scene wasn't it in South Africa because mm. the census chopped it up. Mm. Um, so essentially, you know, they have a name, the biggest name after Kane on the poster. Yeah. And all they've seen is a fleeting scene of her in the beginning getting her knee felt up. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know she never met Roger Moore during the Man with the Golden Gun either? That's a lie. I was going to say that either. <laughs> um, so then um, 
So, Michael, after ha- take, making a dirty phone call and getting his landlady rocking back and forth, Thorpey, Thorpey and his men turn up to give him a kicking. Thorpey looks like Al Capone's accountant in The Untouchables. That's Bernie same, Hepton. With the same little dicky bow. He looks like the verger from Dad's Army, almost. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Yateman. Good if the verger was one of his men. Oh, she'll have to tell the vicar. Bernard Hepton. Yeah, Toby Esterhouse. Thorpey's been sent by... A local fruit machine entrepreneur, Kinner's rival, mm. uh, Cliff Brumby, yeah. who's Alf Roberts in Coronation Street, uh, Brian Mosley, um, to essentially get Kinner's mob off his back. Mm. And he thinks Thorpey will do it for him. Yeah, but it doesn't go very well, does it? It doesn't go at all well. Kane beats up all his men, including one of them getting dragged along by a car. And, and, and head smash through a window. Uh, of the car, which yeah, is... Yeah, he kicks the car door shut as the guy's there. And but can... do you think, would a glass shatter like that even back then bringing someone's head through it's, it's like it was made of a wine glass rather than strengthened probably dramatic wind. license yes mm. yeah but better if his head came off mm. and went in the landlady's lap as she was rocking back and forth <laughs> yeah sorry um so he chases thorpey all the way to a 70s discotheque oh it's great that disco they look fucking grim though didn't it Oh, I'd love to be there. Would you? Yeah, it's like blow up in the 1990s. Yeah. Do you know how Jimmy Nail got into acting? Because he was standing outside. The young Jimmy Nail was standing outside that nightclub and saw Kane going in and out of the club and thought, I can do that. Really? Yeah. You're lying. No. <laughs> he got it. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> really? Got up too late. Yeah. Wow. And then he did Spender. Yes, well... Yeah. I was in Crocodile Shoes too. No! One of my first jobs. Wow! Were well, you pl- one of his shoes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I play um, a uh, kind of a swap team. I mean, it's ridiculous. I would never be the last person who would ever be in the SAS. But yeah, it's one of my first jobs. Were you like Lewis Collins? Because, you know, when he did Who Dares Wins, he was famously so fit, yeah. he said he could join the SAS. Really? No. Yeah. Who Dares Wins? Of course, Roy Budd. Yes. Um... No, yeah, it was just a, a, a couple of days' work with James Wilby and Jimmy Neal. I thought you were going to say James Nail then. No, James. <laughs> his yeah. acting name. No, no. I called James Neal now. And, and he had a reputation, uh, Jimmy Neal, of being unpleasant. But I, he was perfectly charming. Yeah? Yeah. Well, there you go, on the record. And Jimmy talking Nail. of actors, we must actually pay little, uh, small tribute to Bernard Hepton, who died this July. He did. He? A grand old age, thankfully. 92. Yeah. But he was excellent. He was, as I said earlier, Toby Esterhouse. And yeah, he was in Cold... Tinker Taylor and... Cold Hits. He was in... Um, Narnia. Woman in Black. I, Claudius. Yeah, great actor. I, Clavdis. I, Clavdis. Yeah. R.I.P. Bernard Hepton. Thorpey. Yep. Missed his funeral, sadly. I wasn't invited. Um, well, he's not coming to yours, after all, is he? No. If he does, it'll be a bit weird and yeah. scary. Um, so yeah so he gets him in the club toilet flush it does the old trick of flushing the toilet on his bum which is always fun he should have put the cling film on there though. that would be even better um, so then he finds out that Cliff Brumby's all behind it so he goes to Cliff Brumby's house and Cliff Brumby at this point is reenacting the Yellow Pages advert but from the other point of view <laughs> just landed oh quiet Someone's spewing on the goldfish. This yeah. is like every house... Spew all over my bloody goldfish. <laughs> this is this is like every house party I went to in the 80s. I'm, mm. I'm, I, frankly, I would have been that guy in the ornamental fish pond, face down. This is... I was just saying to Paul earlier that if they remade this film now, Peter Kay mm. would be Cliff Brumpy. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's basically playing Peter Kay, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. I know that's who he is, but, you know, never mind. 
Um, so uh, you get the classic bit here where he, st- he just walks in the house, says, your door was open, hmm. and then sits down. He keeps doing this sort of giggling act, which is quite fun. You mean Kane? Yeah. yeah Every time he's, someone he's, says something that sounds menacing, he just starts laughing. He's yeah. He's he's kind of amused at these at these as you say these kind of backward savage northerners. Basically, mm. <laughs> thinking they're hard when he knows yeah. what hard is. Yeah. yeah. And he says to him, "You're a big man, but you're in bad shape." Yeah. And with me, it's a full time job. Behave yourself. Now, this is this quote is is one of the most famously misquoted quotes of all time. Um, to an extent that even Withnail isn't misquoted this badly. Mm. And everyone sort of goes, you're a big man, but you're out of shape. Now mm. sit down, but you no, 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 no. Think of the economy of that beautiful wheeled script, that oil yeah. script. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's as sharp yeah. and well-oiled as, 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 as that character himself. And it was never delivered better than when Sylvester Stallone said it to Michael Caine in the remake. Really? Michael Caine plays Brumby in the remake. Oh, goodness me. It's a bad film. They should have got Michael Caine to play Mayor Alf Roberts in Coronation Street <laughs> as well. But the interesting uh, Brian Mosley, um, he apparently was uh, a fight choreographer and quite, you know, um, established in in that field. Really? That yeah. also explains why that scene is so brilliantly done as well. The, the way he sort of hits him is so realistic. I don't like the way when he, he blocks him as well. You get that kind of awkward sort of it's an aesthetic at the time they used with editing it's used in a majesty secret service as well when you mm. get a punch it's it's chopped edited so it's kind of like you see a hand yes it's and then you see the fa- yeah it's really odd they do, in every time bond fights in a majesty secret service you get it and you get this weird echoing sound yeah. as well mm. they get it in this as well but, sort of crack. And, and he actually mm. literally gives him a slap he does yeah, yeah. but then when it cuts back he's punching him so it just mm. looks really odd but yeah he, he slaps him and tells him to sit down I like that in, in fights in early Bond films. It's always that shuffling of feet, isn't it? They were obsessed with the sound of feet. feet. Yeah. <laughs> but what I like about this scene is that he's basically said, oh, I've made a mistake, so I'm going to leave. And it's only when he gets poked I like by Bromby. Fact, I like the fact that when he's sort of touched, he does that bizarre kind of slight sort of step backwards. Yeah. Quick, mm. like, like, don't you fucking do that to yeah. me. It's, it's, yeah. it's beautifully done. Don't, don't you fucking touch me. Yeah. But it, it, it's so quiet and it's so controlled. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I wrote down here in my notes that Kane is like the platonic form of controlled violence carved in alabaster. You know, he, he looks like an albino shark. You know, there's something so still and almost zen-like about his yeah. violence. You know, that's it's a, a bit like um, it's a bit like uh, Point Blank. Leave Marvin in yeah. Point Blank, which is one of the great precedents for this film. Obviously. Yes, mm. um, the echoes of it. Isn't yes, it? yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously, obviously, they're very, very different films, but there is. Uh, you know, comparing kind of British crime movies back in the late 60s to American crime movies, they couldn't be more different. No, but this is very similar to Point Blank in the, th- in the fact that it's a pure revenge. Yeah, there's, there's another film actually which, I mean, th- that reminds me of. It's Paul Schrader's Hardcore, very much, mm. in which George E. Scott's preacher, you know, goes in search of his daughter who's ended up in the porn industry. Yeah. And, mm. and we'll come to this and c- get Carter later. Literally. Um, but, but there is something, again, very, very sort of point blank and very John Bourne about that. Obviously, Bourne's an English director, but the American aesthetic hmm. um, was, was almost drawn back to the kind of French New Wave. Yeah. You know, that very, that very kind of zen-like sort of, um, very zen-like sort of New Wave, which get Carter absolutely appropriate. It's also a kind of lo-fi element, isn't it? That it's not all sleek and beautiful. It's very gritty and mm. down-to-earth, like the art films and like Point Blank. That's what's yeah. so memorable about Point Blank is that it feels so real and raw. Mm. And so does this. Uh, but Michael Caine does the thing that everybody would do after a, that particular altercation. He goes home and shags his landlady. 
Because I know you wear purple underwear. Yeah, because what he does is he leaves uh, he leaves Thorpey with Alan Arm- baby Alan Armstrong and the landlady and goes away. <laughs> and when he comes home, Thorpey's gone. Mm. Baby Alan Armstrong's been beaten up and the landlady's been roughed up a bit. And then Michael Caine diffuses the situation by saying, I know you wear purple underwear. Mm. And then they wake up the next morning in bed together. And she says, um, are you awake? You think, well, there's a bloody marching band outside. Do you want breakfast? <laughs> of course I'm awake. I love the way she says, are you awake? And he goes, no. Yeah. I love the way, I love the sign above that, you know, what would Jesus say? It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if the, uh, I wonder if the Pelor Hussars, is it Pelor Hussars, the, the marching band are still around now they had giant kazoos didn't they yeah well they're called v- 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 the, the brazil vuvu sailors vuvu sailors yeah vuvu sailors yeah pardon vuvu sailors vuvu sailors funny enough i mean funny enough um not actually a kind of ancient african uh thing at all they're actually invented uh about 10 years ago by an, by an enterprising uh salesman yeah in that part of the world yeah um, but they're so uh, they're annoying sound incredibly fucking annoying things which they were never very. invented a bit like football which was never invented <laughs> okay um, so the, uh, the, the the blokes from London turn up mm. you've got George Sewell is it yeah from Special Branch from Detectives mm-hmm. and uh, the blonde fella I don't Peter know the Dutchman yeah Peter the Dutchman who, who, who talking about um, people wearing the same sort of clothes as you know we're talking about Alan Armstrong mm. looking very much like um Long Good Friday. Long Good Friday. Yeah. Peter Dutchman has a very Peter Cook, Circa Derrick and Clive aesthetic going on, he doesn't does, he? He does, doesn't he? Yeah, the glasses. The, the same sort of glasses and the, and the jackets. Tony yeah. Beckley? Is it? Yeah. I didn't look it up, I'm sorry. It looks like a kind Failed of you all. Disco Roy Batty from Blade, <laughs> from Blade Runner. Disco Roy Batty. That's perfect. Disco yeah. Roy Batty. Yeah. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Mm. Michael Caine naked holding a shotgun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Caine is caught in, in what's that, what do they call it? In, in flagrante delicto. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, uh, but there's quite a weird moment because him and the landlady are kissing, but when it cuts the long shot, mm. he's literally like gyrating on top of her, mm. um, which you know is it's mm. good trick if you can do it. Uh, but they come in and he uh, jumps to this under the bed. Luckily, there's a shotgun under there and a chamber pot and a chamber pot. Yeah. Well, he could he could have used either really as a weapon, mm. I suppose, couldn't he? I think. Yeah. Throwing piss over them and that would have sorted that out. Yeah, they've gone in their eyes. Mm. So he, he naked guns them out of the house. He said, put it away, Jack. You know you won't use it. Yeah. And the other one goes, the gun he means. That's lovely. I, I love that. I think that's such a British moment. So I was thinking if that was played in an American film, they probably wouldn't make as much as the fact mm. that we love double mm. entendres mm. Yeah. as a culture. And we love the fact that the, the, the ridiculousness of a man holding a gun and having his penis out. <laughs> it's like a, you're two for the price of one. Because if they just used that scene for the trailer, mm. you'd think that all the way through the film... <laughs> <laughs> Get Michael Caine is get naked. Or get Carter, brackets, some clothes. Yeah. <laughs> He's up north, he'll catch a death. Yeah. Um, so he gets rid of those two, and uh, then he goes to see Keith, uh, baby Alan Armstrong, and he's been beaten up. And uh, Carter... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just... <laughs> Every scene now is overlaid in my mind by fucking naked Michael Caine. It would be a brilliant film. <laughs> just Ian Hendry saying when he turns up at the races oh he's still got a sense of humour <laughs> 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 
Uh, so Keith uh, Alan Armstrong's been beaten up and uh, he deals with it in typical um, he's very affectionate towards him because he throws mm. him money and says <laughs> get yourself a course in karate yeah. but Alan Armstrong's upset because his girlfriend from Liverpool was coming up to see him and yeah. now he can't move I have to go back to the car chase good old fashioned mm. car chase yeah but he knocks the door off doesn't knocks he? the door off goes through all the laundry yeah. it's great and there's a a lovely bit where um, <laughs> when uh, George Sewell mm. runs to get back in yeah. and falls out. Yes. Which you'd never see in Gone in 60 Seconds. No. <laughs> and he it sounds like Bruce Forsyth. He's going, hold out. What, what, what you doing, for heaven's sakes? <laughs> get in the car, mm. car get in. Yeah. <laughs> you'd have to wait 30 seconds while he does that pose, yeah, yeah, yeah. the thinking man pose. Yeah. He's dead now, of course, as well. They're all dead. Bruce Forsyth. When you Google, you Google any of these people. You think, why, why haven't I seen, yeah, Tony Beckley in anything? Oh, he died in 1980. Jesus. You know, you think, oh, never Google. The when Curse you watch of Jack Carter? Only 46. Well, yeah, oh. well, well, Roy Bide was 46 as well. Yeah. Yeah, he got um, a brain tumour or something, didn't he? Brain hemorrhage, yeah. Ted, mm. Ted Lewis, the original writer, was 42. Blimey. That's hard living, isn't it? Meaning of life. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moment of silence for them. I was thinking when, with the title Get... Everyone was very ill in the 70s, weren't mm, they? Yeah. It, yeah. With the title Get Carter, is it... Which Carter are we talking about, do you think? Jimmy. Jimmy Carter. <laughs> yeah. Well, Carter. I, I'm assuming they mean Jack, because yeah. Frank's already been got. Yeah. Unless they mean Get Carter, you know, a funeral. Yeah. Or... Carter, the unstoppable sex machine. <laughs> yeah, that could have been the sequel. Because mm. he is that the Keith Carter is the only hero in the film, really, isn't he? I suppose not. Keith Carter, um, Frank, Frank Carter. Yeah, and he's dead. He can't yeah. do anything. Well, heroes die. Yeah, that yeah. happens. Houdini died. True. Do you he know got, how he died? He got punched in the stomach by a little boy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Bastard. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those stories your dad tells you, isn't it? Not to punch anyone in the stomach. Yeah. Just what happened to Harry Houdini. He ate loads of peanuts and a tree mm. grew in his stomach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cherry tree grew out of his ass. that sort of thing. I'm still convinced my innards are completely snarled with, 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 with chewing gum. Or an escape Rat- artist stuck up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that. I mean, yeah. I'm sort of bring him in here, but you know, it's a bit of a small room. Yeah, and he gets out of the toilet. Mm. Um, so he goes to see Margaret, who I must say does a terrible accent. Why on the bloody needle? Yeah. I mean that one? Yeah. yeah. I like that, I like that phrase, why on the bloody needle? Because it's quite a pretentious comment, given what happens to her later. Really. For a minute, I thought it was the uh, daughter from Porridge. <laughs> you know, who went on to be an Eldorado. I can't remember her name. Oh, Patricia Brake. There you go. I thought it was her for a minute, but it's not. So there's an interesting story I've brought up on this podcast. Next week on things I thought people were, <laughs> and they weren't, I'll be joined by someone else who I can't remember. But it's funny, when you watch... Like, if you see Up the Junction, which is about 1967, Maureen Lippman plays the, the young girl in it, and she just looks exactly like Amy Winehouse. It's bizarre. Mm. Which She's she, got an ology. Yeah, mm. got an ology. Yeah. So Margaret does have a touch of the Amy Winehouse. She does, actually, yeah. And her hair, she's like she's wearing a... She's one of the Queen's guards. <laughs> bare skin, bouffant. She's got a Busby it? on her head. Yeah. You know, that guy used to be in the telephone adverts. A little yellow mm. bird. Yeah. Yeah. One for the kids there. This is the uh, 
This is the number one podcast for centrist dads. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Jack gets chased by the gangsters because Margaret's grasped on him, basically, we find mm. out. And uh, there's a good foot chase here when they're chasing him. And he gets picked up by Princess Glenda. Mm. She's going to take him to the, ta- the tower. Sure, I like the fact she calls herself the good fairy and her name's Glenda. Yeah. Very much like Glinda from The Wizard of Oz. I wonder it, if that's deliberate. I bet it is. Yeah. And she picks him up in a 1968 Alpine Sunbeam open top. Now, which I have particular interest in because I had a 1971 Alpine Sunbeam, which was my first car. Wow. That was you your go. first car? My first car, 1983. And it was uh, owned by a chap who only used it once a week to go to his sailing club so only done like 10,000 well? miles on the clock yeah. was it and Dennis I, Nielsen hmm? was it Dennis Nielsen no, it wasn't Dennis Nielsen <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, but it it's was worth a try but I I, I, my, I I smashed it in the first fortnight oh no was it so a convoidable it wasn't a convoidable but oh. I had it for many years but I had, yeah panel beating on the front wing annoying oh. but yeah oh. my get car to car Wow. That's really sad. You'll get car to. Yes, very good. <laughs> Wasn't, was it? No. no. Um, so, uh, yeah, he goes back to her house. And. Um, like oh, fa- no, no, sorry. She takes him to see Brumby. Yes. And he offers does. him five grand. Five grand. And says, Cyril Kinnear killed your brother. What? So, yeah, he, gives, he offers him £5,000 and says, Cyril Kinnear killed Frank. And then Jack just says, Stroll on. Yeah, and laughs. I'm not killing someone just on your say so. Well, Geraldine Moffat does her strange uh, giggly laugh. Yeah. Which is quite disturbing, I find. It is, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And um, so Glenda takes Jack back to her flat. There's a lovely phallic tailpipe at the end of that scene as well. There is. Yeah. But we get a montage of Glenda working the car while Jack works her. (laughs) You get her sort of going through the gears and while he's touching her boob. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Metaphor. It's very Fantastic, isn't it? Extraordinary. A man and his machine. Which is what women have seen are in this film, and it sort of climaxes Wise. with a key turning in the ignition, which is how Michael Caine orgasms. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and but what? Well, why? Well, if the key represents, well, what does the exhaust pipe represent? <laughs> Him having a dump, or the choke? Maybe. Maybe she was into that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he was. It's a you know, it's a it's a boiler out there. Yeah, I don't know what I mean. And they wake, wake up. Post-coital, and can you tell me which was the album perched on the shelf next? Let, it was, it was uh, the Rolling Stones. Um, let, let it let bleed. bleed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, let it bleed. The cover of it, as everyone knows, is the cake was baked by Delia Smith, <gasps> who is currently in an advert with Kevin Bacon for EE4G. So if you want to play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon to link him to John Binden, that's the link. Blimey. <laughs> I didn't know about the genius. I didn't know she'd made the cake. Yeah. yeah. Blimey. I say, I'm an idiot. Anyway, so after he has sex with her, she decides she's going to go and have a bath. And he decides he's going to watch a porn film. Yeah, interestingly, uh, the producer, Michael Kling, used to make those kind of films. Porn like, films? Yeah, I used to make those little porn films for... Did he get beaten up by Jack Carter? <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he should have been. The call's coming from within the house. He got Ellie. beaten up by Mike Hodges for redubbing the film. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're getting the wind. Yeah, because he puts the film on, and it's some sort of naughty girl, schoolgirl type thing, isn't it? And T- teacher's pet. That's right, and Doreen comes in. She's only in a dirty movie. 
And uh, there's a lovely bit of acting here while Kane watches it while his eyes well up. And it's one of those films that you know, for people who say, "Oh, Kane's not a very good actor," oh. can't act. you, you show them that for fuck's sake. Yeah, you know. But he then he goes up very matter of fact and says to Glenda, "He asks her about the film, doesn't he?" He does. There's, mm. a, there's an amazing shot here, which he um, sort of comes up the stairs while he's doing up his shirt. She's mm. in the bath. It, it's quite a complicated sort of setup. That yeah, shot mm. like that. Um, and in fact, you sort of famously during this scene, the focus puller lost the focus on Kane, and he mm. went absolutely fucking berserk. Yeah, yeah. He said it was, it was the one time Kane absolutely lost it. You know, for real. Mm. I wonder if um, do you remember there was that scene with Daniel Craig um, in Our Friends in the North? Mm. when he goes to Malcolm McDowell's club and Malcolm McDowell takes the portrait off the wall mm. and sees um, his girlfriend, well, Malcolm McDowell's girlfriend, who he's having an affair with, having sex with the horrible detective inspector. Mm. Yeah. That was one of those sort of moments, wasn't it? Yes. Except Daniel Craig is playing a Geordie. Yes. As a flip side it is, isn't it? But he's similar, very similar kind of character to Kane, but a bit more gormless, isn't he? There's yeah. sort of stuff that kind of later, sort of Mona Lisa kind of mm. sort of explored sort of similar territory where, you know, yes. we, we all have oh, a kind yeah. of, I don't know if we all, but, you know, a lot of us have a bit of a cry for the old kind of gentrification of Soho, you know, you know kind of paving over of Soho with, with, with oligarchical structures. We think, mm. actually, there, there was a side of Soho that really was not fucking pleasant. Mm. Um, Exploitative and yeah. awful. Mm. People died left, right and centre just so people could earn money and it's mm. horrible. And of course in this, I don't know if we just mentioned it, in the film is Margaret and Albert, isn't it? Yes, Albert comes in when there's Glenda and there's Margaret mm. and then, yeah, Doreen as well. So Albert's right in it. Um, so he grabs the Glenda out of the bath. Well, he puts her under the water to start mm. with, then grabs her out and calls her a lying bitch. She's not very nice. And it all gets a bit taken at yeah. this point, doesn't it? Mm. He shoves her in the boot of the car. Yeah. And locks the boot, which will have uh, resonance later. Yes. Mm. Yes, it will. Yeah. Um, so we then cut to a bookies, or Albert's in the bookies. And there's an extra in this bookies, I don't know if you noticed him, that looks like he's masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> you see him twice. I'm always like And he's got his eyes bookies. closed. Yeah. And he's kind of gyrating back and forth. Right. <laughs> like it is, I guess he's supposed to be like, oh, please let my horse win. Yeah. And it really looks like he's wanking because you can't see the lower half of his body. Lucky Leap. It's <laughs> the name of the horse. I'm sure it was. <laughs> think, and you know how, you know, in, in thrillers and horror films, what's the matter with you? Thriller, thrillers and like the mobile phone has kind of ruined narratives. Now. Yes. You have to keep going. You have to have a scene where, oh, I can't okay. get It doesn't on. work or I'm, someone yeah. smashes it. it. The other thing which spoils <laughs> is CCTV. Yeah. Because and he would have just immediately been arrested. <laughs> yeah. For murdering someone in the backyard of a turf accountant. Now, it's a different age then. You could murder people. Yeah. It's fine. I love Not his, like um, today. <laughs> I, love, I love his phrase, do you want to go out of the toilet, Albert? Do you, do you want to go out the to- toilet? Come, 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 toilet. It's it's so creepy. And yeah, as do you we want to be dead, Albert? It's, <laughs> as we mentioned, it's Dave from Minder mm. getting his G- his final G and T mm. or VAT. Sorry, G and T. A fucking idiot I am. Um, but uh, so Albert tells him the full story that Doreen was in it, and that Frank found out. Frank found out. Frank found out his daughter was in a porn movie, um, and Cliff Brumby. Mm. Um, decided to tell Frank this 
in order to frankly get so riled and presumably go fucking nuts, which he did, and uh, and, and wipe out Kinnear. Mm. Unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. No. Yeah. No. Uh, so Mike's. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, Albert says. I just want you to know. You know, it wasn't. I didn't kill him. I know you didn't. I know you didn't. And he stabs him twice. <laughs> and then leaves him to die. Mm. Yeah. And then we get a shootout. Yeah. Which is quite good. He's, he's, he's on that little boat, isn't he? And as he comes off with the pistol, he's got a pistol. Yeah. And uh, I've forgotten everybody's name. Fletchers, the Fletchers have sent up Disco Roy Batty yep. and George Sewell. George Sewell, <laughs> yeah. To, um, to, to bring him... Bring him to kill him now. Yeah. So he just wanted to, to bring him back because he was sniffing around too mm. much, presumably. Yeah. But he's a good man. He's a good right hand man to have around. But he he was discovering too much, so yeah, he wouldn't come home. So let's take him out. But I love the line when um George Sewell says, "Cyril said no shooters. Do you want to get us all nicked? <laughs> get stuffed. <laughs> it's like flipping it, Tucker." You're- <laughs> Stuffed. He also says that they know about him and Britt Eklund. Yeah, there is a there is a weird kind of disconnect between the language in this film and the, and the kind of brutality on screen. Mm. You know, you got you sod as you yeah. say. You know, <laughs> this kind of thing, and yet there's people being stabbed in, in alleyways. Yeah. You know. Well, R- Disco Roy Batty, mm. he says no, no, and no, 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 don't. That's it. Don't. Yeah. Which is him. what it feels realistic, mm. rather than you really don't want to be doing that. Yeah. Which would be in a cheesy movie but it's just don't don't yeah it was probably in the american one mm. yeah bit of a gangster number one vibe about him as well actually mm. isn't it mm. the paul bettany that's a good film that's that, very that, good yeah, yeah. And, and again directly influenced by get carter it's, it it's, is it's so it? much of the canon is now yeah yeah um so then he goes to see brumby and there's the famous scene everybody talks about where he punches him and then throws him over the side of that car park yeah, the shop window dummy falls to the falls to the car underneath. I love the detail, mm. and this is something you notice mm. when you see crime scenes or, or people who've died. They're always missing a shoe. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just something you notice, and it, and it lodges in your mind because it makes it feel more like it's actually happened. And when he's lying on top of that car, he's only got one shoe on. And also, by lobbing him off the top, he's now ruined another young girl's life mm. who gets dragged out of the car. Yes, and yet, and yet, this film, in, in its own mm. strange kind of way, is a moral film. Mm. But yeah. you know, Heather Mills was from Newcastle. She happened to be walking past that day, and she was able to take that shoe <laughs> <laughs> and wear it because yeah. she's only got one leg. <laughs> Goodness me! <coughs> I have an awful feeling we're not going to get our fee for this. <laughs> Those architects. That's uh, what's that actor's name? He was in Heidi High. Yeah, he Ben Harris. Re- that's it. Who He's played Julian Dalrymple Sykes? Yes, he because replaced- I was thinking, who is that bloke? Because mm. he replaced Barry in, in Barry, Barry and Stuart Humphreys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was never the same. No. But that's but his his son from. is an actor now, isn't he? His son is in uh, was in Rogue One, and he was in Sherlock. Oh. And I can't remember his name. I'm not going to look it up. No. So look it up yourselves. But I like the fact that that line implies that even architects are cold-hearted bastards. Mm. But then we cut to the bingo. Margaret's at the bingo. And I did notice here that the bingo caller looks like a vampire paedophile. <laughs> mm. 
I, th- I think Mike Hodges was, was was hard pressed for actors at this point, and probably yeah, jumped one up from somewhere from the graveyard who yeah. was molesting small ghosts. Mm. <laughs> yeah, because there's got to be a if there's a paedophile in the living world, there's got to be one in the mm. supernatural world, surely. Yeah, it only goes to follow nonce from the crypt. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, Margaret at the bingo. Um. And um, uh, Carter calls and threatens John Osborne. You hairy-faced git. Yeah. I love that. Was that to me or was that a quote from the... <laughs> <laughs> to you. No, yeah. <laughs> you hairy-faced git. You should have gone, mm-mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he wants Eric at 6am. And I don't mean an erection. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> And uh, what I like about this bit is that he knows that everybody back home knows about him in Brickland. There's a death warrant out for him. Yeah. So he knows he's a dead man. So everything he does now is in preparation for the fact that he's going to die. So he gets the ta- he gets the film and he sends that to the vice yeah. squad. He's not going to South America with Brit, is he? He is not no. going to South America with Brit, no. No, he isn't. Um, so then Brett, this Brett is the bit that be- I find really unpleasant. Um, his the way he deals with Margaret, I think it's really, really unnecessarily OTT. Don't you? No. 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 I think. I, can we edit this bit? No. <laughs> I feel like I've, I've just said a terrible thing by your no. expression. Um, she was responsible for massively exploiting and arguably really fucking up a young girl's life. True. Um. Obviously, you know, she didn't kill anyone, but in a way, she kind of killed a life. She, she metaphorically poisoned a life. And yeah. What, and, what, and what Carter is doing is he's obviously given her an overdose. Mm. Um, because also, you, you know, she didn't just fucking do bad by by, by her sort of you know, you know, step-niece, if you like, or her stepdaughter. Yeah. Um, she, also did, she also did terrible by Frank as well. Yeah. yeah, but to take her out into the woods, strip her naked... Apart from the pants, he's a nice man, and then get on top of her and, and physically injected injected to death. Well, he he just think you exploited Doreen. I'm going to exploit you mm. for for my means. I think it's it's again it's 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 the weird kind of murky morality of the piece. Yeah, um, you know, no one in this film's a fucking hero, but but arguably, you know, you can't entirely call Kane an anti-hero either. No, he 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 has a, he is possessed. In, in, the, in, the, in the tradition of classic film noirs of a strange, murky morality. Mm. Um, I'm not saying that, it, that, that, it, that it's right that he killed her necessarily, although I probably just did about five minutes ago. Um, it's, it's fucking extreme. But she, to him at that point, was simply a kind of pawn, uh, P-A-W-N, um, in, his great, in his great send-off. Yeah. You know? And we haven't mentioned, of course, his complete indifference when poor old Glenda yes. um, is when uh, Eric Pace pushes the sunbeam off into the dock. He says, your car looks like it needs a wash. And of course, poor old Glenda's still inside the boot yeah. of the sunbeam, and, and, and which is gradually does filling even, up with water. Does he even raise an eyebrow? At no, no, he doesn't. He's doesn't. No. It, impassive. Yeah. Impassive well, that's that right. dealt with. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Tick. Uh, so then, he- I, don't, I just, I just reiterate here. I, I don't, I, you know, obviously he's a fucking horrible man. To actually kill someone with an overdose mm. is a terrible, dreadful thing. Obviously, in real life. Yeah, I think, I think. Um, but for the, you know, for the purposes of the script, it's in total accordance with with what he's about, what his character's about. Yeah. Um, what the film's mm. about. Right. So Eric leaves the party, 
and just as he leaves the house to go and meet Jack, Jack is watching and he calls the police to come to the house. And unbeknownst to John Osborne, he's dumped Margaret in his pond. And, um, she, she looks like um, Twin Peaks, doesn't she? Looks yes. Like, so I was like saying earlier, you were saying he'd seen lots of dead mm. people fished out of the water and it looks like he has. <laughs> and um, yeah, so the police find loads of drugs. They find a dead body. So John Osborne and... Well, it's just John Osborne. He's carted away by the police. Carted. He's, 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 he's got carted. He says, you just got carted. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's fuming. Mm. He's very angry. And also, as I say... He should, know, not, he should not look back in anger, shouldn't he? Yeah, an angry young man. Yeah. <laughs> okay, is that done? Right. <coughs> <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> should we go back to the pub? Yeah. yeah. Can, please? Can we bring it here? We should have, as I said earlier, we, should, we really should have got crates of Newcastle brown ale in here and done it. Well, next, mm. time, next time we do one, we'll bring beer in. Mm. Yeah. Um, so what I, was, I noted here, when we mentioned it earlier, there's no soundtrack really, apart from the beginning, apart from some ambience. Mm. But here, when Eric turns up for the meeting, the music comes back in, and you get a sense of, you know, like a, a chase. He chases mm. Eric all over the place with his shotgun. And um, that whole, I mean, that whole scene is just fantastically choreographed. Mm. I mean, hats off to Hendry. I mean, he really takes a tumble. He does at one point. I mean, you can see they're both exhausted. Mm. And, they, and it looks like they've done it in one take because yes. there's no footprints when they're walking through that Absolutely. sludge. Yeah. Apparently there was a scene where um, when, uh, when, when Hendry is covered in shit, basically, uh, there were a couple of policemen here in the area and they were watching and they were quite bemused to see Hendry, uh, Hodges' orders, uh, fall himself to the ground and roll over and over in mud to get himself more dirty. Right. You know. It's like, what are they doing? But also, art imitated life here because Ian Hendry's forced to sit there and drink whiskey to death, <laughs> which is kind of what he did. Yeah, it's sad what happened to him. Mm. I, I was listening to a, a rival podcast, the TV Cream Lads, and they you bastard. And they um, were saying there's a there's a this is your life with I don't it's not Ian Hendry's this is your life. He's a guest that comes on. I can't remember who it was, and he's just obviously kind of drunk and just talking in riddles, tells this anecdote that makes no sense. And oh. Got a distended tummy. It's very sad. Mm. Just uh, uh, in, in, industrial fans, you should know, this is the last working example of a coal removal shoot. Really? Yeah. You should, That's not a metaphor, that. is it? For his uh, anus. Y- yes, it is. <laughs> no, it's, it's a literal definition of his anus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, we should also mention, that we didn't mention earlier, that John Osborne phones the assassin from earlier. Yeah. Yes. Who's he looks a bit coach. like Kirk St. Moritz from Dear John. <laughs> yeah. But but only when he was in Kirk's and Marines. Yeah, so. not when he's at home. Yeah. So am I to gather then that the Fletcher twins, brothers, said to this assassin, Jay, go up there, just keep an eye on him. I think so. Um, S- Cyril, Kinnear will give you the nod if it's got out of hand. Yeah, yeah. Also, so also- basically, he, he the whole time he's been... It's, it's sort Tailed, of, isn't yeah, it? It's sort of easy to believe that Carter, when he's back in London, is, is a bit of a loose cannon anyway. Mm. If they're kind of thinking that, that you know what, he's he's a bit... And also, I, I guess they suspect that he's with Brit Eklund anyway. You know, that, that, that Fletcher knows what's going on. He probably suspects. Well, it makes me think that whatever happens, he wasn't going to win. Because even, even if he went to South America with Brit Eklund, he'd probably got murdered yeah. for doing that. He'd be killed by Nazis. That's true. Mm. Get out, this is our country. Yeah. But it's that thing with Jay looks a lot more professional than Carter. Yes. They eat their own, basically, isn't mm. it? Or well, they hit their own. 
But do you remember watching this for the very first time and the bit where you think, when you see Ian Hendry's died and you think, oh, he's going to, yeah, he's done yeah. it, you know, he's got away yeah. with it. And then that shot rings out. Mm. And it's so shocking, isn't it? Yeah. You're not used to, you're not so used to seeing the hero, mm. or in this case, the anti-hero, dying so, like that. But he was given a quite, really, his swift dispatch yeah. was probably the best thing that could have happened to Carter because mm. he would have ended up being tortured and oh yeah awful things well predictably i mean the studios try to you know try to argue with hodges and say you know don't don't kill him but obviously hodges stood firm and said no and the books that ted lewis wrote about Kit Carter, the sort of prequels um were written after this film came out so so lewis obviously thought differently hmm. but i think i think it's perfect it's the perfect ending it is kind of thing. well he's nowhere else for him to go is there no can't go home he can't stay there He's, he's lost, to, he he's lost the love of his life. Mm. Also, talking about watching this thing for the first time, I'm, I'm like most people, I suppose, of our generation. I first saw it on a on a, on a dodgy VHS, mm. uh, probably second generation as well, with mm. you know, orange bleaching. Um, and when you see it on the big screen, and I, and I would urge everyone to try and see it on the big screen if, if possible, yeah. uh, somehow, whenever it comes around the movie, you know, art house movie circuits again. Um, is it's a totally fucking different film on the big screen that you know and people say Jacobean and all that sort of thing and yeah it is but it really enlarges the whole film and it, it is utter kind of grim bleakness but also it's it's you know you really appreciate just how beautifully shot this film is which you don't when you're seeing it on a you know on, on a mm. 30 inch and again the sound is just fabulous yes. the coffin screws being tightened yeah. into the coffin and yeah. and the, the even the sound of him Using his electric razor, it's just over his dead bro- over his dead brother's body as well. Yeah. I wonder if his he says brother said to him, "I don't like you using your electric shaver." Mm. <laughs> he said, "I'll do it anyway." And he said, yeah. "Over my dead body." <laughs> so he did. Yeah. But the critics did not like this film. Really? When it came out, so Felix, I've got this written down. Felix Barker, Felix Barker of the London Evening News. I'll read this in full. Says, "What's that strange smell in my nostrils? What is this garbage clinging round my ankles?" At any time, this would be a revolting, bestial, horribly violent piece of cinema. Kane really should know better than to stoop to this sort of thing. What a cunt. <laughs> and even George Miller, he really should know better, said in The Observer, If love story is like a loaf of sliced bread, this is like a bottle of neat gin swallowed before breakfast. That sounds Jeez. about right, though, doesn't mm. it? What an old codger I am. <laughs> Roger Melly, no, not Roger Melly. George but- Melly. But, Amer- but America loved it. America loved this sort of more than the, more than the UK did. Funny enough, you know, they really took to it. Have you seen the American trailer for it? No, absolutely ruins it. Does it give you? I mean, the whole most plot? trailers slightly spoil it. Is it like the Wicker Man trailer, which which has? Uh, oh God, it's just being dragged towards the Wicker well, Man. I mean, and the, the Omen trailer, which shows you everything as well. Oh it, yeah, it just just ruined as soon as she, she finished it. And then yeah. the remake, which ruined mm. it as well. There's another little kind of, um, spo- uh, not spoiler, uh, like teaser with Michael Caine on the set. If you look on YouTube, it goes, I'm just about to do the XYY or something, a film he was, but come and see, get Carter. You know, he's just standing on location, lasts about like two minutes. That. Roger Moore used to do those sometimes yeah. with Bond films. Or have you ever seen Stellar Street? Yeah, I love mm. it. Did you see the, they did Get Chisholm? Yeah. <laughs> That was amazing. Anyway, we've come to the point of the podcast. I think we all agree Get Carter is a very good it's film. Brilliant. Yeah. Just, just very quickly say oh, yeah. the sort of influence that it had. I mean, uh, you know, frankly, this, this film had paramount influence on, on what came later. Um, first, first off, immediately it was remade as a black exploitation flick called Hitman. But Car- Carter had a huge influence on things like um, on Villain, as we mentioned before, and, mm. uh, and obviously the Sweeney. 
uh, you know, just practically sort of Carter and TV, yeah. TV format, and also a film that never gets talking about enough, and 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 um, incredibly underrated film, which I love, and I wish we'd have a podcast about that. The Muppet uh, Movie, yes, the Muppet Movie, uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, in fact. But yeah. um, no, Michael Apter's The Squeeze. The Squeeze is a fucking amazing. Freddie Star, Freddie Star, and Stacey. Ke- the best yeah. film starring Stacey Keach and Freddie Star you'll ever see. Mm. Um, Does Freddie Star play a Nazi in Jack Boots? <laughs> He's actually brilliant in this film. Everyone is brilliant. In this film. It's one. It's one of the most. Um, Sort of, kind of visceral and real kind of looks at, at Britain, sort of, you know, in the late in the yeah. late seventies, um, yeah. particularly around sort of southwest London. Yeah. You know, it's shot around sort of Batsy and Clapham, mm. um, and it's fra- it, it, it sort of owes a lot mm. to this, to, to this uh, kind of neo-realist kind of thing. Not a bit like Slade in Flame, yeah, which is highly recommended if you want grim up north. I've seen a early, bit of that. Early seventies, yeah, Slade's movie wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Weren't it's, they Ironworkers or something? Well, they were. They weren't Slade, were they? They were called Flame. Flame. Yeah. Slade in Flame. Yeah, yeah. Films called Flame. Slade. But that Flame. kind of slightly killed their career. But now seen as a classic. Well, it was. It was, it was seen, so gritty, wasn't it? It was seen in a way as kind of them trying to sort of deconstruct them. It was, it was mm. a bit like Head, you know, like yes. the monkeys trying to deconstruct themselves and Head, a bit mm. like Slade trying to trying to do a kind of postmodern job on themselves. But and like Cannon yeah. and Baldy with the boys in blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was just real fucking shit, wasn't it? I'm editing that out. It's not going in my podcast. You calling the boys in blue shit? <laughs> Oh, oh, you go too far, sir. Yeah. Right, we've reached the point of the podcast where I ask you quick-fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. Fingers on buzzers. Actually, I'll ask you in turn. These are questions that are all taken from Michael Caine's Twitter account in one way or another. Some of them he's asked directly to his followers, some of them he's just tweeted, okay? So the first one, I'll ask you, Paul, first. Go on. Have you ever been locked in attic? Locked in attic? Mm-hmm. Have I ever written a classic... The old Adrian Gervitz song. No, I've never been locked in an attic. I've been in an attic where there's been a giant wasp nest. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Um, which we had to get rent a kill in. <laughs> that's good. But that's it. No, I've never been locked in an attic. Sorry, you have to say locked in, in attic. Locked in attic. Yeah. Ali, have you ever been locked in attic? Uh, no. Right. Okay, good. Uh, Paul, yeah. what are your favourite music? What are my favourite music? Um, well, I'm going to actually say uh, probably Madness. Mm. And they, of course, did Michael Caine. They did. Da, da, that, da, da, yeah. Da. My name is Michael Caine. And they said that and the only reason he did it is because one of his children said, it's Madness, of course you've got to do it. And they grabbed him for about five minutes at the Groucho Club or something. And he just said, my name is Michael Caine. I think we've got it there, don't you? And that's it there's a wonderful if you look on YouTube there's a karaoke version of Michael Caine by Madness where they've got some bloke to just go my name is Michael Caine and he sounds really? nothing like him really it's no, wonderful it's uh, Ali what are your favourite music do you work for Tinder or something or OkCupid is this like a sort of dating profile yeah I'm profiling you I, I wondered killers. yeah or, or do you want to go well Michael there? Caine's potentially profiling his followers isn't he he kind of is um, I, I, I like I like I like music well, what um, are your favourite music? I don't like music. Um, I, I like I like lots of music musics. I like um, I like I like this. I like the Wombles. The Wombles are fucking great. The Wombles are never given enough credit for their actual music. You know, you, you had people like Chris Spedding yeah. play play with the Wombles, who obviously appeared on on the Sex Pistols and you know, Mind the Bollocks and things like that. Um, you know, I, I think Mike Bat is given a bit of a hard time these days, but and, and, and frankly, for certain reasons, probably quite rightly. Um, but the first Wombles album, called um, Wombling Songs, is one of the most extraordinarily produced albums I've ever heard in my life. It's sort of up there with something like Nick Drake 
um, or the Incredible String Band, or you know, all the best of kind of sort of early seventies mm. folk. Um, and I met Mike Bat once when I was going to a studio, and he was coming out, and I rushed up to him and I said, "Look, I just want to say that I, I, I think Wombling Songs is is incredible, a really, really remarkable album, you know, for those reasons." Mm. And he looked at me, and, and he did the kind of universal sign of, of uh, "You're a fucking mad bastard," and said, uh, "It was one of the worst records I've ever produced," and stormed off. Oh. He's funny like that. I met him once. Uh, he came to our club with the Wombles, the cabaret, the Lenny Beige Club, and um, and I had Portrait of the Rolling Stones, the Mike Bat Orchestra tribute, 1972. And I said, could you sign this? Because it's great. It's got an amazing version of 19th Nervous Breakdown. And he looked at me and he went, oh, because it's really kitsch, is it? Is that why you want it? It's what you like. You don't really like it. And I went, I do. I went, it's the first thing I ever did. Go on then. No, oh. signed it, but yeah, a bit minty. Oh, it's very sad. Okay, well, next question then, Paul. <laughs> have you ever had a wonderful day in your garden? I don't have a garden. Oh, well, is that then? Uh, so, Paul, uh, if yeah. like Sir Michael, you were in beautiful Armenia for two hours and fifty-three minutes before leaving for London, how would you pass the time? Um, I'd probably go to Duty Free, the sitcom. Yeah, with Keith Barron. No, I don't know. Um. Because presumably I'm at the airport. I'm guessing so. He was only there for two hours and 53 minutes. Yeah, so, so. I'll be just hanging around reading a Harold Robbins novel. I don't know. Hmm, good. Yeah. Ali, same question to you. I'll probably ring up Pete Townsend and say, why did you insist on pronouncing it Armenia, city <laughs> in the sky? <laughs> yes. When clearly it's pronounced Armenia. Yeah. And I'd, and I'd expect that he would give me a sensible answer. And if he didn't, I'd be very annoyed. He'd, he'd certainly give you an answer that was two hours and 53 minutes long, I'd imagine, having mm. seen interviews with him. <laughs> <laughs> Pops Jonathan Miller. Yeah. Uh, P- uh, Paul, yeah. if you were on a bus teetering on the edge of a cliff and suddenly had a great idea to save the day, what would it be? Um, has it got a load of gold bullion? Can do. Yeah. Um, I would think is there a sequel that could be done out of this because mm. they're discussing it aren't they are they an italian job sequel oh dear if it, it'd be funny if they actually take it exactly from where it left off but they've been there for 50 years <laughs> <laughs> they're all skeletons <laughs> no it the ones just quite like, easy to kind of bump yeah, it again, john forgeham's just gone isn't he so he wouldn't yeah robert powell's still alive yeah so they could I mean, Jesus, he's, he's immortal. Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be your idea. All right, yeah, Ali, same? Just, just let it go, fucking let die. Go. Right. Just, everyone's got to die, just fucking... Wait for the moon to come up. <laughs> yeah, and then, and, then, and then come and go at the same time. <laughs> Good stuff. So not really the self-preservation society. No, <laughs> no, the non-self-preservation. The self-pleasing society. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, and finally, Paul, what's your best and worst Michael Caine films? Oh, um, well, I think Get Carter probably is pretty high up there, really. I did like um, Mona Lisa, mm-hmm. and I know it's not fashionable now, and it's probably incredibly problematic. I I, I, I did like Dress to Kill, and um, uh, yeah, but uh, Mona Lisa or, or Get Carter, Met Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, mm. very good. Worst Michael Caine film? The hand is not great. Um, stinker. It's a bit of a stinker. I did. I've got a soft spot for the swarm. 
Um, oh yeah, a, a little voice is good. Hmm. Forgot that. Yeah, worst Michael Caine film probably The Hand. Ali, um, first of all, I'll agree with 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 Paul about The Hand. Um, Favourite ones, I yes, Longer Friday, uh, not Longer Friday. Sorry, um, Mona Lisa, uh-huh. absolutely, and, and he, he's only in it. For about ten mm. minutes, it's yeah. mm. a bit like Shere Khan in the Jungle Book, the animated Jungle Book. Oh. Only in it for about ten minutes, extraordinary. But he leaves such an impression. Um, he's, he's the black heart of that film, obviously. Um, Educating Rita, I liked him in that. Oh, yeah. the yeah. Mercer, Ooh, yeah. very good. Um, obviously, Get Carter, probably probably his greatest role. Funny enough, I'm, I'm so glad we're doing this. Um, also, I want to hear it for a film called The Beach, not The Beach, The Island. Yeah, uh, which. Um, it was one of Peter Benchley's maritime adventures off the back of Jaws. Um, is a work of, of, of almost profound anthropology. It's almost like kind of anthropology degree of a movie uh, concerning an isolated island somewhere in the Bahamas. That menaces a small town. <laughs> in, which, um, in which a bunch of pirates have been sort of walled up um, by an ocean wall or somehow hidden for centuries in the 17th century have essentially inbred like Sawney Bean and Co., um, or the Pitkin Islands, as we discussed, and um, and are still ha- still have their own kind of lingo and, and you know still dress the same. Um, David Warner is the head pirate, and Michael Caine plays a guy who who comes across this the, 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 these the, these outlaws that time forgot mm. and uh, and almost dies. Uh, and it's and it was it's great because it kind of um, it kind of anticipated almost the kind of Somalian pirates thing, you know, mm. this phenomenon of, of the early of the early two thousands. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wish more people would see the island. Well, why don't you both come back and talk about it one day? Love to. Yes. Before we, before we go, I just want to say um, oh, yeah. this is very cheeky of me, but I want to say uh, I want to plug uh, a friend of mine's book. Her name is Jane Giles, and she used to be the programmer of the Scala, the Scala Cinema in mm. Kings Cross, the legendary uh, cult and art house cinema uh, that has a thousand stories bound up with it. Um, her book called Scala is coming out in October, and I'm incredibly partial to this because I edited the damn thing. Uh, but it is the most fascinating uh, thing, and also contains every single one, and almost life size as well. Every single one. It's a big, very big book of the Scala programs uh, from the late 70s to when it closed in various reasons, Clockwork Orange being one of them, um, in 93. Mm. And every single program, and it's a beautifully beautifully produced book so yeah mm. Jane Giles' Scala book when's it out? Uh, I don't I can't remember the exact date but it's out in October fantastic didn't they used to call it um, when they showed Clockwork Orange it used to be things like electric lemon or steam powered grapefruit exactly that I mean yeah. it wasn't I mean I should point out that uh, you know people are misconceived about the Scala it, it wasn't solely showing a legal screening of Clockwork Orange that closed it down it was a number of reasons but that, that was certainly one of them but oh. mostly it's because the lease had expired and they just couldn't afford to, to keep running it but yeah the Clockwork Orange uh, Stanley Kubrick's people that was certainly the final nail in the coffin sadly mm. but, um, but now it's had this great afterlife you know you have things like Scala Rama guys who are sort of keeping the ethos of it alive hmm. um, yeah and, and obviously you know the, the whole sort of ethos of the Scala has, has dripped into kind of or, or once was sort of Channel 4's uh, and um Channel 4's kind of film programmes, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. It's And Film 4, obviously. Movie Drome. Movie Drome, yeah, mm. things like that, yeah. Well, get that when it comes out, everybody, in October. Um, and until next time, Paul, Ali, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Smashport. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.